Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is titled Agnes versus the World. This is part of a series called Whole, Both Body and Soul, or Why I'm Catholic, Part 15. Around the year 300 AD, a teenager, a girl named Agnes, was killed because of a choice that rejected a culture that elevated sex and power over the wholeness of body and soul. Agnes represented a major threat to a sick empire because she would not play along. And simply by using the word no, like a pin, she punctured a gaping hole in the puffed up and bloated world that she lived in. Now as punishment, Agnes was forced into prostitution and eventually murdered for not partaking in the expected behavior of her time. This was heroic. It was real heroism, not the Marvel kind, and not the self-declared kind done by those who carry their signs on them uh, of their sins like a trophy today. This was something we call chastity. It's a dirty word today. We'll talk more about that in a later episode. This teenage girl, Agnes, stared down the peer pressure of an entire empire, and this was not like the crafted uh, Greta Thunberg media story that we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, it was not manufactured by a massive marketing campaign with huge money behind it, uh, where she pretends to be a lonely voice crying out in the wilderness. It's also not like James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause, and it's not like Marlon Brando in the, the Wild One when he is asked, what are you rebelling against? And he replies, what have you got? No, this was real. This was one single girl saying no to personal sin in a fallen world. And by sticking to her convictions, Agnes was killed. But in doing so, she gave the bully a black eye. The ego of a bully that celebrates sin never recovers from these kind of heroic refusals to submit. The courage of Agnes is pure and beautiful, and she's not the only one. There's also Philomena, Lucy, Cecilia, uh, Perpetua and Felicity, and thousands of others, all the way to, say, Joan of Arc, and even more recently, Maria Goretti. A multitude of the early Christian martyrs were teenage girls, and there are so many of them in the four volumes of Butler's Lives of the Saints that it should give you pause to ask, if Catholics hate women so much, why are so many of our churches and hospitals and universities named after women? It seems an odd brand of hate to dedicate buildings and millions of dollars and millions of prayers to them, but We'll save that for another time as well. Let's move on. Agnes's simple act needed no explanation or intellectual interpretation to understand. Its power is in its simplicity. As Jesus said, don't worry about that which can kill the body. Worry about that which can destroy the soul. Death in this life brings you home if you believe in Christ. The body will follow the soul. We can worry about how that all reconnects later in the Last Judgment. After all, governments and peer pressure at school or work, that cannot kill the soul. They can only kill the body and maybe delete a row in a database if they fire you or cancel you. The modern canceling does not 
kill the soul because souls do not abide in the cloud or in databases. Uh, As for the body of Agnes that they thought they killed, it will be resurrected on the last day. And Agnes understood this perfectly well. She understood what Jesus said when don't worry about that which can kill the body, worry about that which can destroy the soul. Note, let me pause here. Is there anything more difficult to understand in the Christian theology than this, this comment, the resurrection of the body? It's the second to last line in the Apostles' Creed. The resurrection of the body has probably caused me more um, confusion than any line. But also, I might add, if um, there's, there's a few others, such as um, he descended into hell is also in the Apostles' Creed, which has caused me a lot of um, <laughs> research. And then there's also the communion of saints. So there's several lines. But someday I'd like to have a whole series on the 12 lines of the Apostles' Creed if I ever get to it. And I know I say that about a lot of things, but who knows? So here's a prophecy, though, in this episode. Here's a prophecy. A teenage girl has changed history many times, in particular, Christian history, probably more than we even know. And another will be along to do it once again. I suspect this will happen soon, once the teenage girls tire of TikTok and other current fads, um, which all have the shelf life of a can of soup. They're good for a few years, and then you forget about it, and eventually you just have to throw it out. That's what will happen with TikTok and everything else. The only difference is that soup is actually good for your body. The sense of permanence that people have about our current cultural fads should give us all a very good belly laugh. These things will not stay, but Agnes will be talked about in another 500,000 years, however long we're here. Mary, the mother of God, was also a teenager who most famously changed the world. And how did she do it? She said, yes. She said yes to God, not to the world, not to the flesh, not to the devil. She did what Agnes did, or I should say Agnes followed what Mary did. St. Agnes is one of these teenagers from the early church that rocked and shocked the world because chastity is always countercultural. Faith is always countercultural, but chastity is definitely countercultural. The reason people resent and mock chastity is the same reason we resent anything. Resentment masks our own guilt. Let me say it again. Resentment masks our own guilt. Resent rhymes with repent. So to all of you, to all that you resent, you must repent. For all that you resent, you must repent. And that's kind of like a Johnny Cochran line, who was one of O.J. Simpson's lawyers, who said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. But to all that you resent, you must repent. The increase in American anger over the past 70 years is in direct proportion to our increase in sins because the conscience knows our past and we resent the outside world because we can't resolve our sins by ourselves. Wait, did I say we? I mean, I, me, let me stop projecting because I know I can do that. Okay. Because of sin, I have the vitriol and blame and I go through the honor and shame because if I cannot honestly forgive, I must have an outlet. I must find an outlet. And that outlet is fear, uh, resentment, say the resentment of institutions or God 
or other people. I have to blame something to drown the conscience talking to me. It's not rocket science. This is why the most vociferous pro-abortion people have usually had abortions and why the loudest conservatives against sexual immorality have their own immoral sexual past. National pride and gay pride are both forms of the worst sin, which is pride. It's so basic that it's comical. And if you merely read the Bible up to Genesis chapter 3, you don't even need more than the first five pages. You can stop and know that sin leads to fig leaves. Sin leads to hiding, blame, anger, and suffering, because all of that happens by chapter 3. The modern declaration of don't tell me what to do is the new version of I will not serve. And that's what the devil uses for a motto. That's the Latin non servium. Non servium, I will not serve, is the same as don't tell me what to do. Humility is the antidote. But who wants to hear about the way of the cross now? We don't want to listen to the conscience either. All of the noise in the culture is cranked up so that we can't hear what is called the still, small voice in our head. But soon, an Agnes, a Saint Agnes, will come along and her little no to the culture and her yes to God will pull the plug on the babbling nonsense coming out of the speakers and coming in through the AirPods and everything else. Only in silence can the conscience again be heard. This is why regret for what happened at the party only comes to the partygoer in the quiet of the following morning. If you've heard Johnny Cash's Sunday morning coming down, that's a good example of it. And I will resist discussing the prodigal son here, although there's a lot that could be said. I'll just link to my other articles on that. We tend to resent most what we have ourselves done. And if we ever only repent, um, if, if we never repent, I should say, if we don't openly do it, it eats at our heart. It's like an acid. Wait, did I say we again? I meant I. I meant me. So consider your most vocal online friends, and I would be willing to bet that what they are ranting about is a spiritual mirroring of their own sins that maybe they have repented, maybe they haven't, uh, but they probably haven't had a kind of reconciliation yet. Um, That's another episode. What's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? But anyway, so if you don't confess these things... um, you will you will probably resent them when you see them in other people. But don't laugh about these people online because it's very difficult work to do and it takes years or a whole lifetime to process. Humility is the most difficult virtue. The onion is thick on us, on us with so many of our lives grown in this inorganic fertilizer of the 20th and 21st century where we have been told to love ourselves, to love ourselves, rather than to love God and to love others. The cult of self-love is strong, and that is an education that comes from the father of lives, of lies, not from God. Sin is disorder, and we want order. And unless we address our sins, we remain disordered. In our strange attempts to find the good, we talk ourselves into sin. And no one sins thinking it will lead to disorder. We sin with the hope that all will turn out well. No one tells a lie thinking, I reject God. No, we lie to protect ourselves, thinking that it will keep us safe from harm or criticism or insecurity. But sin is like an illness that moves us away from the good, 
and it becomes a disease that always results in tragedy over the long term, particularly if you persist in it until death, because in death you are crystallized in that state and you can never undo it. Refusing to address our sins leads to very strange outlets, and one way or another, we want to take control because we think we can order the world. Our own woundedness terrifies us. Thus, control of people in the world is born of our desire to play God, and we are not God. Hence, what I hate is most often a symptom of sins I have either never confessed or I've never really dealt with, and the conscience is the one thing that cannot be controlled. I may be be able to have some control over my finances and friendships and family or company I work for, politics, food, news, sports, and even maybe even the weather. Maybe I can move, you know, go to a warmer spot. But I cannot control the conscience. That's why they say wherever you go, there you are. Yet I can pretend the conscience is not there. I think I did try that for a long time, and I can even believe I'm not burdened by it, but I am. And the more I deny it, the harder I am trying to play God. This is exactly what the devil wants from us and has always wanted from us. The term hard-hearted used so often in the Bible is just what we call today self-love. But self-love is not healing if it's merely a smokescreen for unrepented sins. In fact, if you think of the parable of the sower, the very first one where the seeds are scattered, the farmer spreads the seeds on very hard ground where it cannot be, it cannot penetrate the earth to get into the soil and the birds come and eat it up. That's kind of what self-love is. You won't let anything in. You won't let God in. You won't let the word of God, the seed in because you have so much self-love that you can't love God and you can't love others. Did I say you? I meant me. I. Sorry. Stop projecting. Modern culture yearns for authentic voices. But we doubt such a thing exists, and we mock purity and as a kind of weakness now. Um, But that's because we have all of our own sins. That's why purity is mocked. That's why Agnes is mocked and, uh, and killed, because she's doing something that no one else does. The condemnation that erupts when we hear of someone's error or their fall is a massive chorus of people who have not addressed their own brokenness. So no matter how many Oprah magazines or mindfulness sessions we attend, our sins will not be forgiven outside of Jesus. Dr. Phil, self-love will not heal people, okay? So stop telling people that. You have to love God, love others, and then you can love yourself. So the sick culture, it coughs and ambles along like an angry, aging tyrant. But another St. Agnes will arrive, and the world of sex, drugs, and anything goes will be stunned once again by her authenticity, by one young woman who refuses to agree to the lies about sex and power. And in my prophecy of this episode, she will be martyred for her choice. She may already be alive today. All right, we're going to follow up this episode with a couple other things uh, related to it. So I hope you listen in, and we'll keep this series going. It might just be an ongoing series for a while. Thanks for listening, everyone.